Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do you suffer from depression? Well, you don't have to. Not anymore. Finally, a non-prescription medical breakthrough. It's the Jiggy Jaguar Show. JiggyJaguar.com. Back here on the Jiggy Jaguar Show, speaking with Charles Staley from the website charlesstaley.com. Uh, Charles, give us a little biographical information. Hey, James. Uh, thanks for uh, having me out. Today, oh, yeah. First of all. Um, well, jeez, uh, I guess I go back uh, to uh, being 11 years old and starting uh, martial arts lessons, and uh, I was involved in martial arts for 23 years or so, and. Uh, Kind of toward the latter half of that, I was also uh, conditioning athletes both in the martial arts and uh, also in other sports. So I was kind of probably one of the first conditioning coaches on a, on a private basis, uh, yeah. even kind of before people knew what that was. And then over the years, it's just kind of you know transmogrified into uh, you know straight conditioning, and uh, it's just kind of grown from there along the way. I've done a lot in terms of um, you know lecturing and writing and consulting and you know, all those sorts of things as well. Yeah, you've you've done all sorts of uh, things, it sounds like. You've got a uh, couple products out there. Uh, one is Muscle Logic. Give us a, uh, yeah. give us the quick rundown on that. <laughs> that. That's actually my most recent book through Rodale Publications. Yeah. And, um, it, it basic, basically features my proprietary training system that's called Escalating Density Training, or ED. So um, basically it's a one-stop, uh, learn everything you need to learn about uh, EDT. But that, uh, that book's got tons of training programs in it as well. It's got a great section on goal orientation and training principles. So, uh, uh, and uh, for people who get that on the website, we, uh, we sign those as well. But you can pick those up you know, anywhere, Amazon, any kind of bookstore. Yeah. So. How's the uh, reception on that been? Have you gotten a lot fantastic. of positive feedback? Yeah, it's been fantastic. We've had a lot of great reviews from that. And then uh, you've got some articles over at uh, bodybuilding.com, I noticed. Uh, one that came to mind is, uh, and I, I hear this all the time from all the different uh, usual yeah. people in the gym, and that is, how much do you bench? Isn't that something? Yeah. It's kind of funny. The bench press is really a polarizing type of lift. Um, you'll find people who just live and die by the bench press, which is, for most people, not terribly appropriate or useful. On the other, on the other extreme, you find these coaches uh, who are just like, oh, it'll destroy your shoulders and, you know, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And, and the reality of it is, you know, just like any lift, the bench press is a tool. It, it can accomplish uh, specific purposes for people. So like any tool... Um, you know, whatever, to me, whenever you put your hands on a bar, you, you should ask the question, what am I trying to accomplish with this? Yeah. And I, I think far too few far, uh, too few people kind of ask themselves that question. Too many of us do things without really stopping to think, you know, what am I trying to accomplish? 
say the 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 bench is a um, like you were saying it, it it can be a polarizing exercise. Um, that seems to be the only exercise I know of. I'm sure you've probably heard more that are uh, comparable to that. Are there any besides the bench? Or? Well, I think there. As far as being polarizing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a. a well, certainly there's a class of exercises or a, a philosophy of exercise that's very polarizing, which is uh, functional training. And uh, that can get messy because you've got to be able to uh, define it first, but we're just talking about basically doing all your exercises in an unstable type of an environment, whether you're yeah. on a Swiss ball or a wobble board or you're, you know, standing on one foot or whatever it might be. And um, these types of drills come from the physical therapy field, and in that field they have good application when used, you know, in the correct context. But now, of course, people take things too far. Again, people tend to be extreme, so you see trainers in gyms all the time, uh, you know, implementing this concept with all of their clients. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, 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 not a pr it's inappropriate for most people because um, when you're, when you're, when you're um, significantly unstable, yeah. you cannot really apply enough of a load to render an effect. So, uh, you know, again, I guess we come back to this whole idea that there, there really are not bad exercises. It's just the misapplication of exercises, I think, is the problem. Yeah, well, uh, it, it seems to be a lot of people, you know, they love to go to the gym, they love to do the workout, but they don't really accomplish a lot. Uh, I've seen guys go into the gym and spend six hours, and I've seen other guys go in the gym and they're in there for like 30 minutes. Does it matter how much time you work out, or how does how does I that mean, break I down? I mean, I just think I just think that the, the duration of a workout is secondary to the objective. So, uh, yeah. at Staley Training Systems, we use something called functional indicators, which just means what are the what are the indicators that you're measuring that, that, that indicate to you that you're you're making progress? And if you're an athlete, it could be your progress on a certain type of lift or, or a vertical jump or, you know, a 40-meter dash time or um, a measurement of flexibility, you know, it just would depend on the scenario. For other folks, things like body fat percentage might matter, uh, your energy, your uh, the amount of pain you're in, your functionality. But the point of it is you should have, you know, three to five of these functional indicators that you're always tracking, and and if your if your functional indicators are improving, then that's a sign that your training is working. Yeah. So it's just a way to kind of quantify what you're doing and having a way of really tracking. You know, hey, are, are is my training doing what it's supposed to do or not, or am I just kind of going to the gym and spinning my wheels? <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. I I. And you notice too, I use the word training, right? I, yeah. I'm not using the word exercise or workouts because. Training implies you have a purpose. There's a purpose for what you're doing. Yeah. You know, so when you use the words like exercise and workout, it just kind of implies you're just burning calories, man. You're just spinning your wheels. You're just, <laughs> you know, you're the hamster in the wheel. So uh, to me, anyway, this is just kind of my way of thinking about it. So yeah. we just always use the word training, and I don't mean that to sound hardcore, but it just means there's a purpose for what you're doing. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, having a purpose, there's a lot of, People that are, and I, I talked to a gentleman earlier today, uh, a lot of people that are getting involved with doing the strongman events, going from bodybuilding yeah. to strongman. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the big explosion on that front? Well, you know, uh, I think I was the first person to say that 
strongman uh, is really maybe the fourth, it's a legitimate fourth discipline in weight training. So there's bodybuilding, powerlifting, weight, uh, uh, weightlifting, and then there's uh, strongman training. And uh, it, it seems that it's become organized to the point where, uh, to me, you know, I think it's got a great future. Yeah. And um, uh, I disagree with some of my colleagues who think that strongman training is dangerous. I mean, certainly when you're at elite levels and you're doing nutty things like flipping 1,200-pound tires, yeah, there's an element of danger, just like anything yeah. else. But uh, if you're using appropriate loads and you're progressing things in, in a rational way, um, I, I think it's just as safe as anything else, and I think it's a lot more functional um, for most people's purposes than, frankly, I mean, it's fun, you know. Yeah. My my 15 year old daughter just uh, flipped a 600 pound tire for the first time the other day. Oh and, uh, my God. It's fun, you know. She was <laughs> like, you know, she she, uh, she had a smile from ear to ear, and it, it's it's funny how there's such a there's such an emphasis on um, machine training. Yeah. And that machines are becoming more and more popular, and now you even see machines like there's a cowling that actually hides the weight stack, and to me that absolutely robs the activity of all the fun. I mean, you want to know what you're doing. You yeah. know, that's your sense of accomplishment. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, you mentioned uh, earlier that you, uh, you started out with martial arts and everything. What do you yeah. think of the explosion of uh, mixed martial arts in the United States? Yeah, I wish it was around. Well, maybe it's a good thing it wasn't around when I, when I was doing martial arts. I, uh, <laughs> I would have been killed or something probably. But, um, well, I, just, I very much appreciate the reality aspect of that. And again, this is something that, you know, at a, at a, on, on the surface seems very dangerous and gruesome, but in fact it has a much better safety record than boxing. Yeah. Uh, no, no one has yet been killed anyway, so, um, you know, I, I, I think it's pretty neat. I mean, I think it's a good thing for the martial arts world because uh, it really kind of shows you what works and what doesn't work. Uh, very interesting. If, 30 years ago, if you were to say, hey, there's going to be this thing where you put people in the ring for five minutes and five minutes and uh, almost no protection, they can do almost anything they want, you know, you know they'd get killed. Yeah. But uh, it doesn't happen. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. It's a, uh, it, it seems to be a, a big thing. Uh, in 93 when it started, it was, you know, they played on the uh, gruesome aspect of it. No, it's yeah, no whole yeah. part. It's you know, fight to the death, and now guys are starting to uh, know that it's a sport, and people are starting yeah. to embrace it as a sport. Well, the safety aspect comes from the fact that there's not as much cumulative damage as there is in boxing. So um, in, in this sport, what tends to happen is you get your bell rung, that the official will step in and stop things, and, and so you're prevented from really sustaining significant injuries, whereas, yeah. you know, in, in boxing, you know, you're getting your head pounded for 12 rounds, and um, that, that's where the damage seems to, uh, seems to occur. Well, uh, another one of your columns you've got on bodybuilding.com is uh, the 10 things you must do to have a great workout. Uh, <laughs> give, us, give us a little insight into that. Uh, now I'm under pressure because <laughs> I wrote that a while ago, and, I, and I, you know, I, I could tell you what today I think some of the 10 things okay. are. Okay, yeah, but, you know, yeah, give us uh, a Well, it would be interesting to go back and see if there's still the 10 things that I wrote about then, but, you know. <laughs> Well, the, the first thing, uh, the first thing that, that you need to do is you have to have a purpose. You have to know yeah. what is it that you're trying to accomplish. You know, you need to have a plan. Um, otherwise, you're just burning calories, or you're just socializing, or you're just, you know, who, who knows? I mean, yeah. I, I, I just came back from, from the gym a little while ago, and um, you 
know, I saw a number of people that you just have no idea. Uh, you know, I saw I saw a woman in the gym, uh, you know, training for about an hour or so, and then as I left, she's outside smoking a cigarette. You know, it's just like, <laughs> you know I, I, I mean, sometimes I feel like I'm an alien, uh, you know, on another planet or something. So, so you really, you know, first of all, you really have to have uh, a plan. Um, the second, one of the other things that, that, that's important is just, you know, warm up. And um, warming up is not a popular thing to talk about because it's just, yeah. you know, people people's eyes start going in the back of their heads and it's just, yeah, we've heard this before. And, yeah. But, you know, the whole idea of warming up implies a transition between a lower level of activity and a higher level of activity. And, and from a low to a higher level of uh, arousal from a nervous system and hormonal point of view. And, and uh, there's so much mythology surrounding this whole idea of warming up. And uh, all I'll say is, is that uh, there's, a, there's a mental and psychological component of this as well. If you, if you look at good athletes uh, two, three, four hours before the workout, they're thinking about it. They're kind of rehearsing it in their head. They're kind of thinking about the lift that they're going to be doing and, and, and uh, uh, thinking about, uh, you know, if I had a decent breakfast, you know, and, and those sorts of things. And, and so then you get to the gym, and, and the whole point of warming up is just, you know, breaking a sweat, elevating your body temperature. And, and uh, uh, one of the things that people do that's kind of a mistaken idea is, is, is really focusing on a lot of stretching in the warm-up process. Yeah. Um, and, and here's another idea. Here's another concept that's very polarizing is the whole idea of stretching. Yeah, and people uh, do not like stretching. I've, I've talked to a lot of people and watched a lot of people, and they, they hate it. I'll work out with people, and they'll like, oh, well, he's, he's warming up, he's doing his little stretching. I'm going to go off and lift the big heavy weight while he's stretching. And then when I come in there, they're either injured because they didn't stretch and warm up, or they're really tired and they can't complete the entire workout because they didn't well, stretch. Well, actually where I was going to go with this is that there, there actually is absolutely no evidence whatsoever in the literature that stretching prevents injuries. Oh, really? Yes, none. Uh, now, this isn't to say that stretching is always a bad thing to do. Yeah. And you have to distinguish two between two concepts, which is, first of all, should you increase, should you work on increasing your range of motion before you train? I would say the answer to that in many cases is yes. But it doesn't have to be done through static stretching, per se. So uh, I focus mostly on Olympic lifting in my training. And so, you know, as I walk in, you know, I'm doing a bunch of body weight squats and then broomstick type stuff, and then the bar, and so forth. So I am looking to increase my range of motion, but it's in a dynamic type of manner. Um, and, and, and again, uh, going back to the whole theme that, that there's, there's no such thing as a bad exercise, there is a place sometimes for static stretching, but uh, you know there are isolated instances. So, yeah. so it's just important in your mind to be able to distinguish between warming up and increasing your range of motion uh, and stretching, because stretching is a method that may or may not get you there, but um, uh, you know, there's there's many many more methods other than that. Well, uh, some of the other things you have on the uh, the ten things you must do to have a great workout. Uh, training in dry climates requires a more thorough warm up than training in humid surroundings. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Give yeah. us some insight on that. Well, you know, humidity. Um, really helps you to kind of stay loose and, and warmed up. So if you're, you know, I used to live in Las Vegas. I'm in Phoenix now, and, and we yeah. do have a little bit more humidity here. But uh, it's
tell you, it's uh, I know there's a lot of people, at least in the wintertime around uh, the Kansas area, where they will train with sweats on and all sorts sure. of things because they want to, you know. Should. Yeah. And, and I train with sweats on in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Oh. Um, you know, it is good to be warm. Um, yeah. It's just, especially, you know, as I'm getting close to 50 years old and, and uh, you know, you start appreciating it even a little bit more. It just is useful from an orthopedic point of view to stay warm. Well, the, that's, that actually is a, uh, a good point. They've got a, you've got another one on here. Uh, if you've done it right, your middle work sets will feel the easiest. For example, in performing yeah. five sets of eight, yeah. the third shift should feel the best, and the sets four and five should feel progressively more difficult. If your last sets feel the best, it indicates that your warm-up was not thorough enough. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and explain something. Well, if your last warm-up sets feel the best, then it's only downhill from there, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you want your work sets to feel the best, not your warm-up sets. So, yeah, um, if... Um, kind of think about this, there's, there's an analogy actually in, yeah. in the throwing disciplines in track and field, like shot, like distance. And uh, if you go out and take like 20 throws, and you kind of see which which throw goes the furthest, and then that tells you your ideal number of warm-up throws. Yeah. Right? So if you took 20 throws and your eighth throw was the best, that kind of tells you, let's say on an average, over time, you determine that your eighth throw seems to be the best then you know that seven is your ideal amount of, uh, of warm-up throws, you know. So you can actually apply that kind of concept in the weight room as well. The uh, the website is charlesstaley.com. You've got uh, tons of things available on there. Uh, one thing that I saw was the, uh, and this gets back to what we were talking about earlier, the Secrets of Combat Fitness, uh, the yeah. e-book. Uh, what can people expect from that when they purchase that? Well, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're kind of um, uh, illustrating a concept of ranking your physical preparedness. And martial yeah. artists kind of are familiar already with the idea of ranking, obviously. So basically we use a, a concept called the Max Jones Quadrapillon, uh, where there are uh, a, a number of different tests that you do, and, and you can assign a score to those. Oh, wow. And, and uh, this involves uh, short sprints jumps and an overhead shot throw and so forth. And this, again, this, this comes from track and field uh, as well, the throwing events from track and field. And uh, so it's a way, basically, you take these four tests, you do them, you get a score, you get a number. And then if you can increase that number over time, it's a way of knowing that they, basically these are like functional indicators that we talked about earlier. Yeah. It's just a way for you to know if your physical preparedness is increasing or not. So uh, it's pretty useful. Wow. The other uh, the other thing you have on there is the unnatural athlete. That that's yeah. a that's free, that's by a, the way. Uh, one thing I suppose oh. I should mention that's a two hundred page ebook. Yeah. That if people sign up for my free newsletter, we just give it to them. Oh wow, that's um, an incredible yeah. deal. Yeah, because we just kind of know that people will enjoy it, and we know that you know uh, people will come back and, and and look to us for their for their you know for their information for, yeah. for training. Wow. And then you've got uh, the ultimate guide to massive arms. Why is that a big deal? Why, why do guys want the huge arms? I don't know. But, <laughs> but they do, so I wrote a book about it. So I, I don't have <laughs> there you go. Uh, for 
me, it's not it's not the most exciting thing in the world. But hey, yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, interestingly enough, you can take the same principles that we illustrate in that book and apply it to other muscle groups as well. So it just yeah. happens to be a book on arm training. But uh, people make progress on that, and it's just kind of it's, it is gratifying to see the progress that people make following that that system. But uh, uh, why is it? Uh, I you know I, I have to confess it eludes me. I'm just not really yeah. sure why that's such a big deal. <laughs> I don't know why it's such a big deal. I've I've got a friend that uh, that's all he he does like an arm workout two or three times a day because yeah, he wants yeah. huge arms, and I asked him one day, I said, why do you do this? And he goes, oh, I just want huge arms. He doesn't really know. He just knows that he wants huge arms. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's something to be said for knowing what you want out of life, <laughs> I guess. But, uh, uh, I, I'm always big for, for looking at your goals and re-evaluating them in the, in, from the perspective of how does my life get better once I achieve this goal? Yeah. You know? Uh, so um, that's always a worthwhile thing. So do you have any uh, other projects you're working on right now or seminars scheduled or anything? Yeah, we actually, the, the main one is that we have our annual training summit uh, coming up in Phoenix, Arizona, October 15th and 16th. And uh, people can go to our website or call our 800 number, which is 800-519-2492, uh, to find out how that works. But we're bringing in a bunch of folks. We're bringing in uh, Brian Grasso, who is a very oh, wow. well-known. Uh, youth training experts. Yeah. We're bringing in Meg Stone from East Tennessee State University. We're bringing in my colleague, Dr. Lonnie Lowry, uh, who is one of the foremost nutrition experts in the country. Uh, I'm teaching. My assistant, Keith Smidman, is teaching. Uh, Chris Sugar from Team Nation will be teaching. Yeah. So we've got a great, great lineup this year. Wow. So what can people expect from that, from the seminar besides the uh, guests you mentioned? Well, aside from learning just a lot of new perspectives on nutrition and training and, and goal orientation. It's a great networking event as well. Uh, we've yeah. had over 100 people for the last two years, so uh, you really get to meet a lot of folks, and it's, uh, it's a fun time. Well, that, that sounds uh, phenomenal, actually. So people can get in touch with you uh, through the handle number and through the website to get information. Yeah, on either way, either way is fine. And uh, I think we've got seats. Uh, we're about 100 days out right now, but they fill up fast. Yeah. So uh, uh, great event, though. Oh yeah, with a great lineup, I can see why it fills up quickly. Well, uh, Dr. Charles Staley, been the guest. CharlesStaley.com. Training smarter, live better. It's a uh, You've got a lot of good stuff on the website. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, how how much man time does it go into 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 putting so much good content on that website? It's it's a lot, but I have a lot of help from my staff here, yeah. and uh, it's 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 always a work in progress. But uh, never never enough hours in the day, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, CharlesStoley dot com. The uh, eight hundred number is eight hundred five one nine. Two four nine two, and uh, Charles, I appreciate the interview, and we'll definitely have to have oh, you back. You, my pleasure, I'd love to. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you later. Have a good weekend, sir. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate Thank you it. much. Thank have you a good care. one. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Download all the past bits and best interviews with new things added each week at JiggyJaguar.com.
Yo, word them up. This is a former CMLL and AAA world champion Conan, and you're listening to the Jiggy Jaguar on the network and JiggyJaguar.com. Orale, arriba la raza. We are back here on the Jiggy Jaguar You Show, speaking with Chris Larkin from BlackDragonMartialArts.com. Uh, You've got all sorts of things coming up. You've got a uh, Rise of the Dragon event coming up on Friday the 13th, correct? Yes, that's yes we do. Be, that's going to be in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, give us some information on that. Um, well, Ohio Challenge will be our second show. Um, we do both uh, kickboxing and mixed martial arts shows. This is going to be an amateur event. Uh, we have eight fights as of right now, we're looking to have a total of 15 amateur fights. I do have two title fights lined up. I have a 185-pound uh, middleweight title fight with, to a guy who is 5-0 going up against a guy out of Dan Severance camp out of Michigan, a uh, bloodthirsty fight team, who's 7-3. Then I also have a 170-pound super fight. Wow. Okay. Uh, give us your background on... Uh being a promoter and competing and uh, how you started the uh, Black Dragon Martial Arts School? Um, well, I uh, worked on a bar here in Columbus um, where Kevin Randleman and Mark Coleman are um, centrally located with uh, went to Ohio State, wrestled for Ohio State. Um, got to know them and they actually recommended me uh, to uh, Black Dragon Martial Arts to you know start training. So I, you know, I've always been a fan of the UFC. And I went over there and just fell in love with the sport and uh, just uh, worked my butt off there and I became an assistant instructor. Um, I've been fighting since 2001, was uh, having my first fight in uh, Kevin Randleman's show here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I fought amateur for about three or four fights and then I turned pro um, last year in March. I, my overall record is um, I'm 5-3-1. Five, three, five, three I fought uh, my last couple of fights, I fought a tough opponent, his name was John Soder. I fought him um, in uh, Holy Gracie's Fight Fest. We fought to a draw, so we had a, such a great fight. They uh, wanted us to fight again, and I lost a split, split decision to him um, back in February. And about that time, we just, me and uh, my instructor decided uh, to go ahead and start putting on some local shows for our fighters that train out of our gym. And that's how we uh, started the uh, Ohio Challenge, which is a uh, the name that we put our shows under, and uh, we, we did a kickboxing show, and now we're doing our, our amateur MMA show. Okay, so um, with with putting on a, a show, how is that different than fighting? I, I realize there's a lot um, of shows. It's there. actually a lot more stressful. Um, you know, training for a fight, you know, it's something that, you know, I'm in the gym doing every day. Uh, you know, I get a little bit nervous before the fight, but, you know, I, it's something I enjoy to do. I'm, you know, I, I know what I'm trained to do. I'm confident. I know, you know, I know what my body can do, and, I'm, you know, just reaction to what the other opponent does. You know, once you step in the cage or the ring, you know, it's, you know, to, for me, it's total relaxation because, you know, that's what I've been trained to do. Um, setting up a show, um, lots of things can go wrong. Talking, you know, you're talking to people over the phone, um, late hours, because everybody's in different time zones, different work schedules, uh, trying to, you know, communicate between fighters and their managers or their trainers, getting guys to uh, commit to, to fights, checking records, making sure that everybody's legitimate and, you know, nobody's, you know, somebody's not pulling a fast one on you, telling you that their guy's never fought before and he's, you know, had 20-some fights and you get in there and he just hurt, you know, slaughters a guy because, you know, 
not only am I, you know, a, a fighter, but I'm also a fan of the sport, you know, and, and I go to all the local shows here in Ohio, and, you know, nobody wants to go see a one-sided fight, you know, I've gone to several shows where you go to a show, and you can obviously tell that somebody's never trained before, and as a fan, you know, it's, it's nice to see a knockout, you know, a big knockout every once in a while, but, you know, when the, the fight's totally one-sided, and you don't, you know, you don't see, it's just, it's not entertaining for the fans, and as a promoter, you know, it's really important to, you know, match up um, fighters who are equal in skill level, um, so that way you have a good fight, and, and that's what the crowd wants. They want to see a, you know, a good three-round fight or a good five-round fight or however long the fight is. You know, they want to see it go the distance. You know, they they want to see a battle. And that's just bad. Then, go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. And uh, so now, you know, another aspect is talking to, you know, working on my schedule. Um, I, you know, father of two, happily married for 12, uh, 11 years this last July. Um, I go to school full time, um, two hours away from where I live. Um, so, you know, I'm, I got a hectic schedule between, uh, you know, my kids playing sports, going to school myself, teaching and training, and then also trying to do a show. Um, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's very time consuming. There's a lot of effort, you know, until, until the, uh, the last bell sounds on the last fight. Um, I don't relax because you got fighters who don't, sh you know, don't show up to the actual event. You have the uh, the high athletic commission that you're dealing with to make sure that your, you know, all the fighters are proper, you know, properly gloved up and weighted. And it's just uh, there's a lot of uh, behind the scenes th things that you know that people don't see that goes on in a show. Well, with the uh, with doing an amateur show, comparing it to a professional show up. Obviously, the the pay scale is a, is a lot different, but are the rules or anything different? Um, in the state of Ohio, they, there's some uh, very drastic differences in the rules. Um, with amateurs, they fight three three minute rounds with a minute and thirty second rest period in between. Um, amateurs are required to wear at least six ounce gloves, and the main difference between amateurs and pros is the fact that why, um, the only thing that is allowed to hit the head of an amateur is an opponent's fist. There are no kicks, no knees, and no elbows to the opponent's head. Um, whereas when you're fighting as a pro, you are allowed to throw um, arcing elbows to the head, and you're allowed to throw kicks at the head, and you're allowed to throw knees at the head also. While you're, while you're standing, while you're on the ground, um, you, there are no knees or kicks to the head in the pros or amateurs, but like I said, in the amateurs, the only thing that you're allowed to do is uh, punch the head. And uh, besides that, uh, there really aren't a whole lot more uh, differences. Um, if pros fight uh, five, uh, sorry, three five-minute rounds, um, but other than that, the rules are you know fairly similar. Um, that way, there's the, the big reason why they wanted to do that is they wanted to make make the transition, you know, from being an amateur to a pro um, a little bit safer. For amateurs who may not, you know, be expecting the elbows or knees to the head, it'll keep them a little bit safer and, uh, you know, prolong their uh, fighting career. Well, what's the, uh, the event you got coming up, the Friday the 13th, Rise of the Dragon? Do you guys do, um, are you going to do that event in a ring or an octagon? Or? Uh, yes, um, we have a five-rope ring, um, 20 feet by 20 feet, um, and uh, it's, it's different preferences. Uh, some guys, uh, strikers like to fight in a ring because it, uh, it allows them um, you know, to move a lot better, and
and uh, was a, a wrestler, a ground-and-pound type fighter. They like the cage because they can get you down, they, you know, they can pin you against the cage, they can get you to the ground, pin you up against the side of it, and they can you know, hold you there. Whereas a striker, he has the advantage if he goes down to the ground, um, you know, the ref, or the, the ground-and-pound guy gets him over there, you, the referee will stand it back up in the middle to, to get the action going again. Um, I personally, I like you know, I, I like to fight on the ground. I like to uh, I like to fight in the cage. But this event will be held in uh, in, a, in a ring. Okay, with the difference uh, as far as like the, from the ring to the octagon, uh, the gloves. Do you guys use a certain kind of glove? But it, you know, com- comparing uh, well, let's say for instance uh, the UFC, they use the uh, little corner gloves. Uh, I know that Ringside just recently started making an MMA-type glove. Do you guys have a preference, um, or do you just let people just um, make their own gloves and you just check them out? No. Um, you know, before the Athletic Commission got involved, they, you know, people did just bring, you know, they would bring in their own gloves, and the, you know, the was putting the show on with it, the gloves. To, but to make it, you know, equal and, you know, safe, for safety reasons, uh, we provide... We provide the gloves for the fighters, and the gloves are checked and inspected um, by the Ohio Athletic Commission before the fight and uh, after the after the fighters glove up. Um, they're signed off on, just you know, like in you know any professional or you know boxing event that you see. You know, they are checked. Um, we we use a company called International Combat Sports. Uh, they make a really nice uh, six ounce MMA glove, and that's just it's. You know, each organization will, you know, choose their own glove. There's no uh, particular manufacturer that we're mandated to wear or use. Um, that's just a brand that we've chosen to use. But like I said, we provide them the brand-new gloves for each show, and we have the, you know, the higher athletics inspector inspects the gloves before and as the, the gloves are put on the fighters. Do you have to pay any uh, sanctioning fees with the commission, or are they just there basically as like a safety net? Um, yeah, there's, uh, there's like, you know, uh, uh, I can't remember um, the exact terminology, but there are uh, permit issues and other financial obligations that um, that are set up with the Athletic Commission, you know, paying the inspectors and your, your officials and everything like that. Well, uh, with the, uh, the Rise of the Dragon event uh, coming up, how many events have you promoted throughout your uh, career with being a promoter? Um, this will be my third actual event that I've uh, been on as a as a promoter. Yeah. Um, I've I've assisted in probably another three or four shows with friends and uh, you know, other guys that I've known that have been, I've put on shows. You know, just in the background, you know, contacting fighters, getting things set up, making sure things run smoothly at the event. Um, so I probably got the experience of about ten shows. I said uh, the video we have holds twenty five hundred. Um, we're looking at that. Um, looking to sell at least a uh, thousand seats. I've got about 600 seats already sold for the venue. I haven't done any advertising or anything like that. That's just uh, you know what you know local fans and uh, the fighters have uh, already sold. Um, like I said, I'm looking to have probably about a thousand to 1,200 people in the in wow. the in the at this event. Um, so I'm looking to have a, a pretty good show. Then um, maybe late December, early January, we're probably going to be putting on a, a, a pro Um, speaking of Black Dragon Martial Arts, what do you guys, 
uh, are you guys just a an MMA school or? Uh, no, we actually we uh we are a curate uh, jujitsu um self defense school. Yeah. We we also offer women's fitness kickboxing where um we don't just you know, have the women kicking there or anything like that. We actually teach the women you know how to hit the pads, how to hit the bags. Um, it's a lot more. Um, if you've ever you know punched a punching bag, it's a lot more of a workout when you you meet resistance than just punching the air. And then we also work on submission grappling, uh, which is you know freestyle wrestling with submissions added into it and uh, the touch of uh, Japanese jiu-jitsu, which is you know similar to Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, you know just different a few different you know names of techniques, but it's very similar to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Just basically uh, an overall thing. Yeah, we kind of combine everything with a little bit of multi kickboxing, and uh, we just we we focus on you know we focus on what works and try to incorporate you know we're open to new ideas. Um, I trained with you know Kevin and Mark Coleman, uh, Robert Walker, the second out of Dayton, Ohio, is a phenomenal uh, multi fighter uh, trainer. He's trained some you know some some of the greatest. Uh, Rich Franklin, George Jell trained out there in Dayton with him. Um, We've had people in our gym. Uh, he's actually the instructor for uh, some of the um, superstars out in Hollywood, California. His name's Tyler Gre or Toby Greer. Uh, he trains the Legends MMA out there with Rutan, uh, Couture, and Quentin Rampage Jackson. He's been in our gym. Um, his brother trains at our gym and fights out of our gym. Uh, so we got a lot of experience that comes out of our gym on a fairly regular basis. Well, I'll tell you, you guys, uh, just looking at some of the fighters on the website, you, you've got some pretty tough-looking guys. That we do. Um, like I said, we've uh, we got a lot of up-and-comers uh, uh, that are training real hard and uh, looking to make some names for themselves. When you start a, uh, whether it be a from the promoter side or whether it be from the training fighting side, um, if someone, well, let's say, for instance, uh, just, just somebody off the street comes in, has done some MMA, has done some kickboxing, but doesn't really have a record. They've just done a lot of hard sparring in the gym or whatever, and you work with them a while. What event do you try to get them set up in to progress them eventually to fighting maybe in a UFC or a Pride? Um, it, it all depends on you know on the person. Um, you know. If, if, if they're really interested in fighting after, you know, they spend some time with us and we get a feeling of, you know, whether where they stand up, where their ground game at, um, what we'll do is, uh, we'll, you know, we'll maybe uh, get them involved in a, a local submission tournament, which is just a, you know, a grappling tournament with no strikes. Um, if they do pretty good in that or if they, you know, if they enjoyed that and they didn't get, you know, too uh, anxious and decide, you know, decide because it's a, uh, it's a little bit different, um, you know, just from you know, when you're actually in front of people with everybody watching you. It's always, you know, it's really nerve-wracking. Um, you know, I try to get them into a couple of amateur, uh, you know, grappling events. Um, there's a lot of local gyms that put on uh, kickboxing smokers where it's just, you know, they have energy, you know, a bunch of guys from one gym will go to another gym, and we do a lot, you know, just cross-bar with people that you don't normally train with. Um, just trying to get a, try to get some of that nervousness out of the way. Um, and then once they've, uh, you know, they, they've fully committed to it and they think that they're ready and we think as a, you know, as a, a manager that, you know, they're, they're able to defend themselves and, uh, have a good chance of, you know, of, of a 
I'm willing to fight. You know, I, I, so I don't, I don't try and put anybody in there that's going to get get hurt or hurt somebody. You know, we always want to make sure that the fighter is fighting somebody equal to their own uh, their own skill. Um, we just there's there's a show probably every other weekend somewhere within you know 100 miles of Columbus, and I've got several friends and uh, lots just from fighting and going to shows that put on shows every every other weekend. So just give them a phone call and uh, we'll find them a find them a show to get them in there and get their start and you know, we, then we just build off of it from there. When you have a uh, uh, several fighters in your school and they start, let's say, going into professional, do you take a, a cut of their pay like uh, the Lions then used to do with some of their fighters where they would pay for them to, to train and everything, and then once they started winning, they got paid back that way? Or is it just they train and they pay you a monthly fee, you know, freeze at the gym, and then when they fight, if they get like a professional title or a trophy or whatever, they get to keep that. Yeah, they. Um, you know, so a lot of gyms do do that. Um, yeah, I'm a. I'm a. Like I said, I'm. I'm first off a fighter, um, so I you know I, I know what it's like to you know make money then have to you know pay somebody out. You know, it cuts into what you make. Uh, you know, I I have a. I had a manager, like I so said, right now while I'm going to school, I kind of retired from fighting uh, while I go to school and just uh, work on putting on shows and training guys. I don't have any contracts with my fighters. Um, it's verbal, you know, verbal agreements. I'm there to help them make a career out of it. Um, I don't, I, I don't ask for any, any financial, uh, anything like that from the fighter, you know, from what they make. I just ask that they, uh, you know, put on a good show for us and represent our school well and, and, you know, just uh, put the word out about our school. And a lot of our fighters, you know, they're, they're, they have no problem, you know, wearing our, wearing our shirts and, uh, you know, word of mouth advertisement for us. And, um, you know, like I said, we don't, uh, we don't ask for any financial thing from, uh, from our fighters. What kind of training do you uh, put these guys through as far as, like, uh, not just the technique-wise on conditioning? Do you... Encourage them to lift weights, or is that something that's a no-no? Or um, no, uh, it, you know, everybody's individual. Uh, you know, some people uh, they they their bodies react better to lifting weights. Some guys, as myself, I like to do a lot of uh, free body exercises, yeah. a lot of uh, body squats, uh, handstand push-ups, and uh, different types of full body exercises. Just using my body weight. We do have several guys that lift. You know, lift weights specifically um, to get in shape in the gym. I, we do a lot of polymetrics, a lot of explosive drills, um, a lot of uh, you know wind sprints, um, just a lot of conditioning drills on the heavy breathing, jumping rope, chasing the medicine ball around. Um, you know, back in the football days, up downs, which are you know sprawls for yeah. when somebody tries to shoot in and shoot in on you. Um, you blocking the, a shot. Uh, we just do a lot of uh, you know quick, fast-paced uh, cardio to get your uh, breathing, just to get to, to get your body used to transitioning from standing up, and then two seconds later being on the ground grappling. So what I'll do is I'll have my guys uh, get on the ground, and I'll have a whistle, and I'll make them go for 30 seconds on the ground, blow the whistle, they jump up, they they do uh, stand-up work for 30 seconds, blow the whistle, back on the ground, just to get their body used to uh, you know changing from uh, standing up to the to the ground because. 
if you if you watch, you know, there's guys that box, but you know that they can go 12 rounds boxing, but as soon as they get to the ground, they're tired within 30 seconds of being on the ground. Yeah. Or you have a group, you have a guy that can you know a wrestler who can wrestle for two or three hours straight on the ground, but as soon as he stands up and starts throwing punches and kicks, he's tired. Um, it's it's a it's a really big combination of, of, of both training, you know, standing up and on the ground because uh, you can't. Nowadays, uh, you know, the first UFC, you know, where Royce Gracie just dominated people because he was on the ground. Nobody knew oh, how to yeah. fight that. Well, nowadays, everybody's so well diverse and cross-trained that you can't you can't just rely on standing up or you can't just rely on you going to the ground. Everybody knows everything nowadays, so you got to be well well conditioned at both standing up or going to the ground because some you know, some fights that your opponent may choose not to go to the ground with you. And he might be a little bit better at you than protecting himself and not allowing you to take him to the ground. So you'll spend the entire fight standing up. And if you're not used to, and if you're conditioned to working on the ground and you're not conditioned to standing up, um, it can be a long fight for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're not in shape, it will catch up. Yeah, that's what I'm actually uh, trying to do myself because, uh, like I said, I have kind of went into retirement since February um, while I was going to school. But I uh, got a call from a promoter who's putting on a show November 11th here in Columbus, and he is asking for a few opponents. We got some of our guys fighting on their show, and for a guy that was 205 pounds, because he couldn't find anybody that wanted to fight the guy. Um, I called him back, told him I'd go ahead, and I dropped the uh, 25 pounds to make the weight class to fight the guy, and he. So I just committed to a fight November 11th against a. Uh, a a, uh, a a fellow fighter named Venetius Magalas. He is uh from wow. he's a Holy Gracie black belt out of Brazil. Um, he's a four-time Brazilian uh, national jiu-jitsu champion. Uh, he's 2006 Quest Grappling champion. Uh, it's probably gonna be a really really uh, tough fight for me, but I enjoy fighting and uh, you know just want to step in there and you know, prove to my you know, my students and everybody I train with that. You know, it's, it's about the sport. It's not about winning or losing. It's about getting in there, playing what you know, and uh, you know, and see how it comes. Oh yeah, you gotta you gotta put the uh, put the art to the test. Yes. Well, with the um, the big explosion of of MMA just recently, with the Ultimate Fighter and Pride coming to the U.S. and some of these other things. Um, do you think that MMA is going to be like professional wrestling, where it had a big high and then just a huge drop off or do you think it'll be like boxing and it'll always be around and it'll be just as popular um I think it's going to be you know just like boxing um a little you know a little bit it's going to take a little while I mean you know the MMA really in the United States has only been around for about 10 or 11 years you know, the first UFC was back in 95 you know boxing's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years you know it's always just always been around. Um, it's just it's going to take the public to uh, you know get a good understanding of you know of of the sport. Um, one of the things that we do at our shows, um, like when we did our kickboxing show, we did a we did a grappling exhibition match, and a lot of the smaller shows, um, but we'll do an exhibition of another four. So that, and we kind of explain to the the crowd that's there that you know this is uh, you know this form. And it's a, it's a big learning thing for the public. You know, a lot of people, they see the fight go to the ground, and they don't understand it. They think, it's, you know, they don't know what's going on. 
is we educate the public that, you know, that they're not just sitting there laying down, they're actually working for submission techniques. Um, you know, I think they'll understand that it's more of an art form, it's just not, you know, two guys getting in there trying to, you know, as uh, people, unfortunately, has been labeled as, you know, just barbaric, and it, it really isn't. It's a, you know, I tell my students that it's, it's really a chess game. Um, you know, I, I'm a fan of boxing, um, but, you know, I, I prefer to fight mixed martial arts for the simple reason I think mixed martial arts is safer, because when you think about boxing, what's the opposite of boxing? To sit there and hit the guy in the head until he's unconscious. Yeah. And that's basically all you do. You know, and you, you fight 12 rounds, and you sit there and you hit the guy in the head, and keep hitting him in the head and with hopes that he, you know, he goes down and he goes to sleep. Well, you know, in the boxing world, if you hit me and I, I think it hurt and I quit halfway through the round, I'm pretty much done as a fighter because nobody's, nobody's going to want to watch me fight because I quit halfway through a fight. Well, when you take it into the mixed martial arts world, um, when you have, you know, you have striking, but you also have submissions. Um, you know, it's it's all who shows up on that day. You know, I can I I fought a guy where, you know, I caught him in a guillotine choke, and and I you know he submitted to me. You know, I then I fought another guy where you know I he caught me in a guillotine choke and I submitted to him. You know, it's not necessarily you know beating the other guy and and you know senseless. It's just okay. You know, I made the mistake. You capitalized on it. You got me in a in a in a, in a you know a, a submission to where if you wanted to you could do you know serious damage you know choke me put me to sleep break it on break away but you know being a you know being a sport I, I physically tap or I, I verbally tap the referee stops it we get up we shake hands and we, we both live to fight another day and if I submit to an arm bar I, you know I could be fighting the next month and another show because the opponent that I fought you know he was just uh, you know that night he, he's the one who didn't make the mistake yeah, and it's a, it really is a big game of uh, it's really a big game of chess. You know, you just gotta, you know, watch where you put your arms, watch where you put your legs, because if you put it in the wrong spot, you know, and they know what they're yeah. doing, they'll catch you in a submission hold. Yeah. Well, but, uh, you know, once you, and, and so, like I said, you know, you're not necessarily yeah. just trying to not hit the guy in the head and put him to sleep. You're, you know, oh, you're looking yeah. for those submissions and everything, and you know, I, that's why you know that's why I prefer to fight in the mixed martial arts because. I've done some, you know, I've, I've done a couple of, uh, you know, amateur boxing things when I was in the Army out in Kansas, uh, stationed at Fort out of Kansas, and fought in a yeah. couple of uh, boxing, you know, Army boxing tournaments, and uh, I just, I really enjoy the mixed martial arts aspect of it. Well, um, with the big fight coming up between Tito Ortiz and Ken Shamrock yet again, uh, <laughs> do you think the, the, the result's going to be any different than the first two? Um, you know, I, I'm really, you know, there's a lot of people off probably. I'd like to see, uh, you know, I know people don't like Ken Shamrock because of the last, uh, you know, ultimate fighter. Um, I like him as a fighter. Uh, I know several people that, you know, know both Tito and um, Ken. And I personally don't like Tito. I think he's an, an excellent fighter. And he's got some of the most devastating elbows in the business. But I really think that uh, the last fight between him and Ken Shamrock, I think it got stopped a little bit early, and I, I really think Ken's going to beat him this time. Wow. <laughs> but like I said, you know, a lot of people, you know, they, they differ. They think he's old and over there and needs to get out of it. But I still think he has what it takes uh, to give, give Tito a good run. Yeah. 
Well, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good show, and uh, you're gonna you're gonna be fighting the one fight. Uh, is that gonna turn into basically a comeback? Your one fight, and then just take a lot of fights, or how's that gonna be? Um. Well, I was thinking returning after I got out of school. I graduated from nursing school, and um, and you know I'll be graduating next May. Yeah. Um. So you know I plan on fighting after that is one to get through school first. Uh, so I could, you know, concentrate full-time on school. But like I said, the opportunity came, and, you know, it's, 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 it's a big thing, you know. I, I, you know, I, I, fought in, I fought in February, and then, you know, it's been quite a few months, and, and uh, I, get, I get real, uh, real antsy. My wife, she hates it when I go a long time without fighting because I'm always just, just full of energy trying to, you know, get it out of me. And uh, it's just, like I said, you know, it's just... Uh, that's 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 my drug of choice is fighting. You know, just that some people like to jump out of planes. You know, other people like to do other stuff, ride motorcycles. For me, it's 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 about getting in there and and fighting. It's just an adrenaline rush that I can't explain, and I I just I love the feeling. Yeah. So uh, you know, depending on how the fight goes, I might wait until I go ahead and get out of school. Um, but you know, if the, if the right offer comes in, or if I do good in this show. You know, I might be uh, fighting you know, before I get out of school again. It just just got to take it one day at a time. That should be interesting. Uh, Chris, I appreciate the interview. The website is blackdragonmartialarts.com. Um, thank you. Also, uh, I'll send you an email, let you know where it's been posted and everything. Uh, okay. If you've got uh, Mark Coleman and Kevin Randleman's contact information, if you wouldn't mind emailing that over, because I'd love to have them on the show. Um, I can get in touch with them. I, I, I don't want to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just go ahead. And I'll be out. But I'll get in touch with them okay. and, uh, yeah, and just get, uh, you get you what I can. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. I would appreciate it. Okay. okay. I'm just curious. Um. You know, how did how, how did you uh, come across my name? Um. I think I seen a posting on uh, MMA TV about your okay. event you were putting on. Okay. Then I do. Uh, a few advertisements on uh, there and a couple of other websites. I was just curious of how you yeah. got in contact with me. So yeah, that's that's no problem. Oh, cool. Man. Well, uh, what's what's your guys' website again? Uh, well, uh, the, we got two of them. We've got JiggyJagwire.com and then we've got JiggyJagwire.com and then we've got KJagRadio.com. Okay. Well, I'll check those out when I get home tonight. Okay, man. Well, have a good one and uh, All right, thanks, man. I'll get you an email this evening. Okay, cool. Thanks, sir. Thanks. We'll talk to you later. Yo, word them up. This is a former CMLL and AAA world champion Conan, and you're listening to the Jiggy Jaguar on the network and JiggyJaguar.com. Orale, arriba la raza. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.